I'm sorry, writers. There is no fucking way that the Freddie Malik of 1931 turns into this dude. Well, that's not on the writers. That's on the casting director. That's true. Good point. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did he grow? Like six inches? Yeah, and his voice completely changed post-puberty? Yes! <laughs> Excellent point. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams Assemble. everybody so quick little disclaimer up at the top for this episode <laughs> amy has already enjoyed a cocktail this evening and uh what are you are you drinking a uh, a barraculata right now Amy? that would actually be good well we don't know what the hell's in it you know what at this point i don't care as long as it's got alcohol in it okay yeah it's been a long couple of days here at the marvelous madam so uh, Amy is just uh, chilling out a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, which means I am overseeing the technical aspects of this week's episode. So, <laughs> so good luck if this episode even shows up online. <laughs> and the episode we are speaking of, of course, is the latest episode of Ages of Shields, uh, episode four, Out of the Past, which was awesome. Oh yeah. And completely in black and white. It was fantastic. So, yes. Yes. Amy was correct. All of you who reached out to us on Twitter and said, hey, you know, I think Colson's flickering eye means we're going to get the episode for his uh, from his perspective. You are absolutely correct. So, yay. Finally, a theory that pans out and nobody poked holes in it. Yes. Yes. I do believe that's our first. Yes. And that in itself is cause for celebration. And drinks all around <laughs> cheers i'm holding up my i'm holding up my invisible <laughs> wine glass <laughs> oh i'm drinking vodka wine is too sophisticated for me the whole atmosphere of this episode is amazing so just if it is agent daniel Sousa is supposed to deliver a shield made device to drum roll howard stark's contact Full disclosure, I may have peed just a little bit when I heard Howard Stark's name. <laughs> Were you hoping he'd have a cameo? I was. And I figured they would use Dominic Cooper instead of John Slattery because it just made more sense in terms of like time and aging, you know? Yeah. And plus he was on Agent Carter, so. And hey, we could still see Slattery in the 1973 episode or others. Maybe. Yeah. We don't want to rule it out. So, of course... Hydra also wants it because Hydra just has to have everything S.H.I.E.L.D. has. So we have that going on. And of course, the Chronicoms are still trying to kill Coulson and the team. Well, nothing new there. No. So we pick up here exactly where uh, episode three left off. Yes. Coulson is in custody and he's got this whole film noir monologue going on in his head. Yeah, and he even says, it's interesting, oh, my thoughts are pinging around in his head. And and at the end, you know, we find out he has this inner monologue actually going on in his head. Yeah. And I don't know if that means something or it's just we're doing this to have a film noir episode, in which case that's fine with me because it's amazing. Yeah, we're doing it for a film noir episode and it was a glitch. Yes, we could always use it was a glitch. Yep. And, oh, the saxophone. The saxophone just makes the atmosphere in this. When that title card shows up mm. and you hear that sax, oh. Yeah. Very reminiscent of the film noir genre. Really sold it, actually. And you know what also helps? The fact that Clark Gregg was born for this. <laughs> he was born for a lot of stuff. Yeah, he has the perfect look for this time period. In fact, you know what? There are 10,000 different st streaming services out there. Can one of them please pitch Clark Gregg a show in which he plays a 1950s PI? Can we make that happen? Can we get a petition going? Who's, who's on board? <laughs> I am. For the hats alone. True. Yeah. 
I have never seen so many hats in a television episode as there were in this one, and I love every minute of it. <laughs> now, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is something, maybe it's nothing in me just being technologically challenged. Uh, hopefully you are sober enough to process this question, my dear. Good luck with that. We open to seeing Coulson in Suze's custody. He's handcuffed to the table. How did he come back online without Gemma, like, hitting a button, powering him up or recharging him on the Zephyr? How did he just come back online by himself? The EMP is only for a short period of time. So it's just a quick burst. It puts everything offline. And after a point, everything restarts, including Coulson. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, so as we said, theory confirmed. Coulson's perspective, his circuits got all crossed up, and so he's now (laughs) colorblind. Everyone in this episode looks fantastic. Yes, they have done a fabulous job with the cinematography and the lighting, and brilliant, just brilliant. The lighting especially, and I'm not a person who knows a lot about the technical aspects of film, but when it's done really well, it just adds new layers and dimensions to the finished product. And the shadowing and spotlighting in this episode are amazing. Yes, very well done. Kudos to the director of photography. Yeah. And not only does this episode look great... It sounds great. I am 100% on board for this cheesy 50s dialogue. (laughs) Yeah. We got Ruskies and Fisticuffs in the same scene. (laughs) What is Ruskies? Uh, Russians, Ruskies. Oh, I see. Back then they said Ruskies. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm learning all sorts of new things. Not terribly important ones. Well, things nonetheless, right? Actually, you're learning like terrible and inappropriate things, <laughs> unfortunately, really? about America's past. Yes, <laughs> when you think about it. That's actually true, yeah. I also have to say here, nobody yell at me on Twitter for this, but I have not watched Agent Carter yet. I will. I promise. I'll get there. So I'm not familiar with Agent Souza like a lot of you are. However, I love him already. Enver Jokai is fantastic. Yeah, he is. He also has the perfect look for this time period. Yes, true. You know, I've seen Agent Carter, which everybody already knows, but... (laughs) They certainly do. (laughs) But I was not like completely crazy about him he was like oh okay he's a good looking guy he's he's okay you know he's a good actor he does a good job fine but truthfully I was a bit distracted by um a certain agent Carter you don't say (laughs) let's not go there again okay um you're going there okay fine but in this episode (laughs) I actually started having a different kind of appreciation for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I might know why. Why? Because it, I'm wondering if it's the kind of a, the, a similar appreciation that I have, and we'll get into that a little later. Okay. All right. So Coulson manages to convince Sousa that they're on the same side, and I know where your device is, dude. I got to get it from my contact. We'll do this together, and I will go to L.A. with you, and we can give this to uh, to Stark's man. Deal? Well, Sousa has pretty much no choice but to say deal because he doesn't have the device that he needs. Yeah, so Sousa's between a, wa- a rock and a hard place. He certainly doesn't trust Coulson, but he has no choice to go along with this plan. Yeah, and the whole idea of Coulson being a scientist, no. Nobody's no. going to buy it. Sorry, Phil. That's not what you yeah. can pull off. No, not at all. So Coulson has to figure out a way to let the team know what's going on. But he can't reach the Zephyr, and there's only one number he knows to call. And that is Enoch. Which begs the question, Amy, did you find the crazy canoe today? Are you there right now? 
I kind of am, yeah. I paid a visit to Enoch. We had a good time. <laughs> yeah, the crazy kidoo. I love it. Yeah. Unfortunately, our friend, Arsentian Chronicom, does not look very happy. Yeah. The whole, that dude telling him his whole life story, like, look, I was listening only for like a couple of seconds per section he showed up. I was bored. Poor Enoch. Did they purposely cast that particular guy because for a split second before you see all of him, you think it's Patton Oswalt? I didn't think of him. I did. Okay. Short, chubby, kind of kind of a little sloppy. I thought for a split second, maybe we were going to see Patton Oswalt. I think they did that on purpose. But he sounds nothing like him. Yeah, but he's drunk, you know. I think they did it on purpose as a little fake out. Hey, I'm drunk. I don't sound like a different person. I sound like a slurred person. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> My point being, they could have cast absolutely anybody, but they cast a guy around Patton Oswalt's age with a similar build, similar height. We're just saying it got my hopes up for like half a second. Okay. Well, yeah. hopes dashed. Sorry. And this scene just broke my heart. It has been 24 years. Here we go. Enoch cares so much about them that he created tech to contact the Zephyr on the off chance he might be needed. I think he knew he would be needed. Even still, even still, like he's not under any kind of, nobody's holding a gun to his head. He's not under any kind of obligation. He's doing this out of the goodness of his own fucking heart. And can any of them, well, with the exception of Deke at the end, but can anybody else take even 30 seconds to say, hey, Enoch, how you been? Well, how have the last 24 goddamn years been treating you? Well, you got through the war okay? Like, come on. May I say something now? Speak. (laughs) Well, in the team's defense, it was kind of a life and death situation. And the fact that Enoch did all of this and even though he was waiting for the team to to arrive 24 years later, like what you said, that he's doing it out of the goodness of his own heart. That's the best thing about Enoch. And that is why we love him. This is true, but it makes it all the heart more heartbreaking. They couldn't just take a damn minute. I know. I know. I know they're busy saving the world, but... Come on, guys. It was bad enough you left him. I know you didn't do it on purpose, but cut the guy a break. This time they did. I bet he's got 24 years worth of fucking Christmas presents wrapped for them. That would be nice. 24 years of gifts. A barracolada cocktail mix for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they could all use it. May sure could. Oh, we'll we'll talk about May. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, so he's able to put Coulson in touch with the Zephyr through this crazy phone that he's jury-raked somehow. That's actually not unknown technology. That is a, a way that people did do that, you know, like put the speaker in, into that little kind of cradle thingy. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, I did not yeah, know that. I've seen it before somewhere. Okay, good to know. So everybody else is back on the Zephyr, safe and sound for the moment, and Coulson relays the information... And lets them know, hey, we're going to be heading out on this train to L.A. Come and meet up. We need backup. Yeah, and we need the the briefcase. That's the most important thing. Yes, that would also be helpful. Yes. So I love the one. uh, Another thing I love about this episode is how and this whole season really about how they're pairing up different groups of people who we either haven't seen together at all before or haven't seen together in a while before. Yeah, I agree. And okay. This is not like a hate on Fitz because I don't like him. But the fact that if Fitz was around, he ends up taking a lot of the narrative time, the Fitzsimmons storylines and things like that. So now that Fitz isn't around, the others are getting a chance to shine. That is very true. And as much as I do love him and want to see him again, it's not detracting from the episodes in any way. Agreed. They're doing a phenomenal job balancing everybody's character arcs and giving everyone equal time that every character is due. 
Yeah, true. And be this being the final season, everyone needs to get their final due and see them all, you know, hopefully have a happy ending or at least give them a decent goodbye. Yes. Yes. That's all we can hope for at this point. So with that said, we first see Yo-Yo and Deke together heading over to the scientist's house to retrieve this gadget that Sousa is supposed to deliver to Howard Stark. Yeah, and may I just add that Deke is absolutely adorable in this bit? He kind of is. He has, Jeff Ward has the perfect look for, like, with a mustache and a silly hat, he would look like the perfect low-level henchman who's out recruiting more henchmen. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I don't see it. Okay, well, I've probably seen more of that stuff from that era than you have. Probably. The two of them are looking for the scientist house. And I thought this was another great touch. Yo-Yo is looking at an actual map. (laughs) I didn't even realize that. I mean, I'm sure we have some listeners who have never even seen a physical map in their lives. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I know showing my age here, but I vividly remember my father looking at maps on family vacations when I was a kid. They didn't help. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how to read a map. Yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. Google Maps. Thank you. This is why I could never time travel because I can't read a map. This The only reason that I could never time travel. <laughs> yeah, the only reason. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, we've also established on this show that the only people who should ever fuck with a time machine are white men. So we're out regardless. Unless we go to the future. And this made me think about it too. Like, can you imagine any of them going on a road trip with Deke? Like he'd be stopping, he'd be stopping at every gas station, just praying they had some Zima. (laughs) Yeah, that or stopping at every hoarding, advertising some kind of sightseeing spot. Like, could you imagine? Ooh, we've got to see this. And you know what was nice, too, is that it's clear that nobody's babysitting Deke anymore. Like, he's a full-fledged partner in this now. Yeah, it does seem like the entire team is treating him like a grown-up, finally. Yes. Yeah, and again, the writers are doing a great job with his whole arc. My favorite part of this whole sequence, though, is the sneak-around music that's playing. You really concentrated on the music this episode, didn't you? I did. It was so well done. It really elevated the whole episode. This part made me feel like I was watching an old Pink Panther cartoon. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah. And people, for her to to notice music, that's saying something. This is true, considering I had to Google the song that plays at the end of this episode to figure out what the fuck year they were going to. Yeah, me too. Okay, glad I'm not. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) I knew it was somewhere in the 70s. I didn't know which year. Yeah, me too. Full disclosure, though, did not know who was singing it. Seriously, the whole time I was working on Thursday, just in my mind, do, 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 See, now you're making me want to watch Pink Panther. Oh my God. Pink Panther's classic. I know. Both the cartoon and the Peter Sellers editions. I don't know about that. Add it to the list. Damn it. Okay. The ever-expanding list. Mm Mm-hmm. And Pink Panther is super fun to watch while you're drunk. I think I'm going to watch some after we finish this recording. Drunk, yes, but I imagine it it would be even better on mushrooms. After all, it is about a walking, talking cat who happens to be a master thief. I can't speak for mushrooms, but I would say if you say you're talking, if you're watching a walking, talking cat, that in itself would imply you're high. So this is true or five years old or or me. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, they get into the house. Yo-Yo is able to find the gadget slash device. That's what we keep calling it this whole episode. Yeah. However, in the process... The Hydragoons are on their tails, and they abduct Deke from the house. Yeah, poor Deke. Poor Deke, yes. And poor Enoch once again. So Yo-Yo finds herself a phone booth, just like Coulson, because those were things that existed in the 50s. 
and makes another SOS call over to poor Enoch at the crazy canoe. And does she have time for him? No. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, Enoch is still struggling with that dude. Yeah. He was busy fiddling around with umbrellas. Yes. Thinking about his best friend, Leopold Fitz. (laughs) Yo-Yo just bulldozes right over Enoch. He puts her through to the Zephyr again. And she's like, oh, got a problem. I got the thingamajig, but I lost Deke. Yeah. So we got to go find Deke. And at first, Mac and the gang think that the Russians have taken Deke because it's 1955 and that's everyone's first choice. Of course. The Ruskies, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yo-Yo gets herself back to the Zephyr. Yeah. And she shows the team what this device is. It turns out to be rather monolith-looking-ish, don't you think? Yes, it's making me nervous. Yeah. And as Simmons called it, it is the, quote, Rosetta Stone of S.H.I.E.L.D. tech. Yeah, so this is making me pretty nervous uh, because this is exactly the sort of technology that I feel like could just cause the universe to cave in on itself. Yeah, either that or it's vibranium. Hmm. There's an idea. Yeah. Because Howard knew all about vibranium in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That'll be something to chew over till next Wednesday. Yeah. Because God knows we have nothing else to question or wonder about. Yeah, yeah. We are completely running out of theories, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for adding to the list there, partner. Appreciate it. (laughs) Anytime. It's my part-time job. But you know what else is a major cause for concern here? Maybe even more so. May smiling. Oh, yeah. That freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Always cause for alarm. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone was equally freaked out. I love that part. Yeah, and I mean, for her, that was equivalent to, like, Robin Williams doing a live stage show. That's like Tom Cruise jumping on the couch for me. Yeah, a definite, I think we have a situation type of moment. Yeah, completely. Mac Mac is basically Oprah in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, I was genuinely weirded out. All right. So we're going to come back to both of these. But in the meantime, we're going to head back over to the train car where we find Colson and Sousa in this uncomfortable partnership that they've created. Yeah. And Colson is just winging it. Like anyone is, is his contact. He's doing a great job. And again, there's so many hats, hats, hats everywhere. <laughs> you have a thing for hats, don't you? It's just so much fun because they're so silly. They're silly? They are. Like, because you, you know what I'm thinking of? I love, I love Lucy. I've seen every episode there ever was. And Lucy on that show had a thing for hats. Like, that was her, the way women today go nuts for shoes. That's how Lucy was with hats. Okay. And, and so that's partly what I think of when I think of the 50s is hats. And it just makes me think of Lucy and it, it makes me feel all warm and nostalgic inside. Okay. Haven't seen it. You know, I think Coulson being an LMD in this scene really helped a lot because he can't show the usual human signs of nervousness. He can't start sweating. He doesn't have to worry about his blood pressure increasing or his heart rate, you know, those usual telltale signs that somebody is under stress or lying. I think it really helps him. Of course, in the end, absolutely. But it helps him a lot in this episode. Probably. And I think uh, Susa would have maybe caught him out a lot sooner if it if he were human at that Probably. point of time. Probably. Yeah. And I love the whole conversation, too, about Howard when... You know, he says, you know, what do you think of them? Think of him. And Susan just says, he's a pompous ass. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thinking to myself, dude, like father, like son, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you imagine if Susan met Tony? Well, Colson's probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. True. Yeah. And at that point when Susan was questioning Colson about like he's never met Howard you know he's working for him and things like that at that moment I was like "Uh uh-oh Colson's gonna get found out but he he knew exactly what to say Howard didn't like me to meet people and Tony doesn't like to be handed things (laughs) 
So Sousa decides he needs a drink, and who can blame him after that day? Yeah. He goes off to the bar, and while Coulson's alone, the head chronicom comes over to try and strike a bargain with him. Not head chronicom. He's not a head chronicom. Like, did they mention he's... No, but he's like the face of the chronicoms. He's the one who does all the talking. Ironic, considering he stole someone's face. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, he seems to be the one in charge. Yeah. This might be the best scene in the whole episode. Really? I think so. It is so classic 50s. The staging of it, the way they're set against each other, the dialogue, just Coulson's mannerisms, the way it's lit, everything. Yeah, that way, yes, I agree. And the the actor playing the Chronicom, I don't know his name, but he is also another great face for that time period. Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode is just so serendipitous because they have the perfect cast for this style and atmosphere. Everybody has just the right look. Yeah, and that's probably what inspired this whole idea in the first place. Maybe. Yeah. They could have gone a couple of different ways with the 50s. You know, it didn't have to be noir. They could have gone for like a uh, a grease type of thing, you know, instead. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, thank God they didn't go that way. <laughs> hey, Colson could have another glitch. No, thank you. Please do not wish grease upon this show. No, thank you. <laughs> In fact, let's keep all John Travolta vehicles away from this show. Thank you very much. Yeah, so they do the little song and dance here. And when it comes down to it, Colson just looks at him. Sorry, no deal. Yeah, and... I wonder why this head chronicom decided that Colson would probably agree. Just because he's an LMD? Maybe. He could have seen it that way because he does say to him, like, the reason I came to you is because you're not human. Maybe he thought he could appeal to a rational, logical machine. But he just, it, it goes to show, he doesn't understand Colson. Yeah. And it goes to show that Colson's mechanical body cannot override who he is very true even though it's basically programming he's still in there somewhere and there's plenty of him yeah so we head over to the train car bar where Suze is just trying to have himself a nice drink in peace yeah i can i can feel that oh can you yeah Now, I got to say, I was a little disappointed in Hydra here. You'd think they could train a better spy or hire somebody better for this job. This woman is terrible. She is being way too forward and obvious for 1955. That's true. But the goon that managed to kidnap Deke had no clue who he was kidnapping in the first place. So maybe Hydra doesn't have the best, you know, henchmen and goons and ladies that's true that's a good point i mean they are they are fairly amateur hour there you go they're they're still a bit amateur yeah. hour. Yeah. yeah i mean considering if you do, if you take the job you have a chance of getting killed if you piss the boss off not many people would want to take a job like that yeah and you also kind of have to be a psychopath already yeah true they're not exact they're not they're not exactly trustworthy true. So, yeah, she's a terrible actress, but they, but she and a couple other hydragoons still managed to almost kill Daniel Sousa. Yeah, till Daisy comes in and saves the day. Indeed. So their cover's blown at that point, and they're fine with that. It's time to come clean with Sousa. Kind of. They don't exactly come clean. Not fully, but yeah. halfway there. Hmm. I absolutely loved Sousa's reaction or complete lack of reaction to the Zephyr. Yeah, now there I have a question. How did they land the Zephyr on the train without making any noise? I don't know, some some tech capability? I guess I'm asking the wrong person over here. Yeah, have we met? <laughs> you didn't think I could even change my own Discord handle? And you're asking me about trains and planes? Okay, our listeners, if you could help me out, that would be nice because she's clearly useless. Okay. <laughs> I can do stuff. (laughs) Okay, in this aspect, she's completely useless. 
So Sousa, like with his lack of reaction and his just matter of fact, like, yeah, okay, cool. It was the complete opposite of E.H. Koenig. Yeah. Yeah. But that goes to show how much Sousa has seen. Uh, You've not seen Agent Carter. He's seen some shit. That's true. He reacts more to the team knowing all about Hydra. I love that moment. Yeah. And he's like, you know, like a a dun dun dun. Like, I think S.H.I.E.L.D. has been infiltrated by Hydra. Oh, yep. 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 Oh, yes, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) They just popped his balloon. Yeah. (laughs) So Coulson realizes at this point, like, oh, it was actually Hydra that tried to kill Sousa because he was going to out them. Yeah. Well, actually, Sousa doesn't appear to have any major kind of reaction. But when May touches his hand, she does seem rather disoriented. Yeah, they do, they, they do a good job of drop, dropping a number of clues throughout this episode that I missed on the first watch. Yeah, when I saw it the second time as well, I concentrated and I saw, yes, when May was giddy with about this whole thingamajig that is there at the table, she is actually touching Gemma's hand. Yeah, they do a great job of mixing obvious clues with more subtle clues. Yeah, true. So I thought nothing of it at the time. Yeah, me neither. And then later on. It it was obviously a weird reaction, but I wasn't making the connection of her touching Sousa. Yeah, me neither. So while everyone's getting acquainted on the Zephyr, we tuned back into the adventures of Deke. (laughs) More like the nightmare of Deke. (laughs) Yeah. I was so glad they did not take the same actor from the 1930s, just pasted a beard on him and sent him out as an older version of himself. Yes, 100% agree. However, though I enjoyed not hearing that terrible accent (laughs) that Darren Barnett was doing, Mm I'm sorry, writers. There is no fucking way that the Freddie Malik of 1931 turns into this dude. Well, that's not on the writers. That's on the casting director. That's true. Good point. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did he grow? Like six inches? Yeah, and his voice completely changed post-puberty? Yes. (laughs) Excellent point. And um, I don't know. He's like generally just twice the size that he was. Yeah, true. There's only so much meat and potatoes can do. (laughs) And speaking of that beard, why is it necessary? Because it's the fakest thing I've ever seen. Thank you. And again, I'm not the kind of person that notices these things. I never noticed John Travolta's litany of rugs in all of his movies. I I can't really spot hair plugs ever. So when I do see fake hair, oh, it's gotta be terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was, I don't know, I wanted to just rip it off his face. And yes, in this scene, the lighting, like, you know, is really dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he looked like a fucking Civil War (laughs) reenactor. Okay, I didn't care for this scene, the, the, the overall shadow. I mean, I'm, I guess it's probably got to do, got to do with like, being in the lair of, the big evil guy kind of thing, but... Yeah. No. Yeah, I didn't care for the darkness either. And I think the darkness contributed to an oh shit moment that I had. Which is? When they first pan to Wilfred Malik and we see him in that instant, that first moment, I swear to God, I thought that was Jude Law. <laughs> yeah, he does kind of look like him, doesn't he? Yeah, He looked just like him in that moment and i thought to myself you have got to be fucking kidding me is this how we're connecting to the mcu the career here is somebody a scroll oh my god what's happening and then he spoke (laughs) and that burst your little bubble god damn it people (laughs) what are you trying to do to me well i didn't think of it but i did feel like he looked familiar Now that you mentioned Jude Law, yeah. Well, it was an extra oh shit because one, we've had the Kree on this show. And two, Coulson was fucking in Captain Marvel. Of all the dudes you could cast for that role. Did they do it on purpose? Are they just trying to fuck with us? Or am I just delirious at this point? 
I would go with the delirious theory, yes. Am I just am I just hallucinating because I'm so desperate for more MCU content? <laughs> I would say so, yes, yeah. Yeah. I think that is it. And it's probably your hormonal, you know? All you want to see is all the pretty boys. Yeah, I'm, I'm kinda on board for Jude Law, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I know your type, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. So we're intercutting back and forth here, too, with the Zephyr. And here's where I want to talk about Sousa a little bit more. He is very clearly a good man. No denying that. He and Coulson have a lot in common. And the biggest thing being that they're both willing to die for this cause. They're willing to die for the greater good. Yeah. And in Coulson's case, he's died multiple times. Yes, Add into the fact that Coulson is fanboying over him and that, you know, Peggy Carter did fall for Daniel Souza. I'm sorry if this gets anybody upset, but uh, he's reminded me of somebody, a certain Mr. Rogers, and I don't mean the dude with the cardigans. (laughs) I can't help but make the comparison. I mean, I can clearly understand what Peggy saw in him. Yeah, well, it goes to show that Peggy has a type. Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. She, could, she has good taste. Mm. Too bad she doesn't go for the ladies. Yeah, so Seuss is just putting his cards on the table with the team, letting them know how far he's willing to go here. Well, he's kind of having this conversation with Daisy. Mm-hmm. Not the team itself. Yeah, true. Yeah, I did enjoy that little moment that Daisy and uh, Daisy and Sousa had. It kind of felt like, you know, they were connecting. Yeah, and it felt real. Like, it felt like a conversation, should something crazy like this happen in real life, it felt like a conversation people would actually have. Yeah, and it felt like something that would happen in a moment of downtime, like while they're waiting to land. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so while they are waiting to land, uh, we check back in with Deke. Now, I have a big question here. Okay. This this whole sequence just doesn't sit right for me. And I don't know if it's plot convenience or if there's something more going on here. Now, Deke has grown on me tremendously, but I'm sorry. Why is he walking out of here alive? You're going to tell me... Wilfred Malik was suddenly overcome with gratitude and honor and decides to let this guy who he knows is lying just walk out of there? I don't think it's got to do with gratitude. Uh, Well, he even says to him, I owe you a debt of gratitude. Because he saved his life. Right. But you're going to tell me the devil himself somehow believes in this honor and gratitude and paying of debt and just... Let's him walk out of there? Come on. That's a little far-fetched. Well, everyone has a certain code, right? And Malik at that point does say that that's the year that my life started. And he knows that if Deke wouldn't have saved him at that point of time, he wouldn't be alive. He wouldn't be who he was. But he also knows that Deke is lying. He's not who he says he is. And... This guy, despite his high vegetable intake, apparently, he has not aged a day in 24 years. These things are suspicious. They're they're very suspicious. And this dude is the head of an evil underground organization. He's Dr. Evil. I just don't buy it, and I'm not sure what to make of the whole thing. I think this will come to play a little later. There is something more to this because we do see towards the end of the episode, the head chronicom comes and visits Malik and tells him, you need to do exactly as I say. Yeah, I feel like there has to be more to it because the writers are too good to overlook something like that. Yeah, there is something more to it. And I wouldn't be surprised, okay, theory time, I wouldn't be surprised if Deke is the one who finally kills him. Oh. Hmm. Good call. You got your pens out, everybody? Write that one down. Yeah, so that you can just tear it off after five episodes. Yeah, write it down because Amy's ha- Amy's hand-eye coordination is no bueno right now and she can't do it herself. 
So, yeah, um, it would be kind of like a full circle thing for Deke because he didn't want to kill Freddy because he was a kid. He then saw what Freddy became. And we have that conversation between Yo-Yo and Deke that he is not a fan of the status quo, you know? Yeah. Okay, good call. I will add this to our serial kill pit-up board uh, after we finish recording. Hey, I thought I was keeping the serial killer murder board ready. (laughs) It might be best if you do it. I may go overboard. Mm. So back on the Zephyr, it's time to figure out what's going on with May. Yeah, that was the million dollar question. Yeah, Gemma puts her foot down here as a doctor's like, sit your ass down, we're going to run some tests. Yeah. And everything turns out to be normal. Physically. Physically, yes. But what they are able to figure out, and it's Yo-Yo who astutely realizes this, is that May somehow is now an empath. You know, when we realized that, I think the reason why Yo-Yo realized that May is an empath is because in the previous episode, when May was having a panic attack, Yo-Yo had taken her out. She was holding on to her while May was calming down. And when Yo-Yo asked her, do you want to talk about it? May says, does it seem like I want to talk about it? Five seconds later, Yo-Yo says the same thing. So this was Yo-Yo's feelings that May basically mirrored back to her? You know something, partner? Your drunk is other people's 100%. (laughs) That is an excellent catch. And that is why I think Yo-Yo figured it out. Yeah, because she had that. She had extra information. Yep. Yeah. And I'm glad that she pushed May to speak about it and tell Gemma about the panic attack, even though now we know it wasn't actually her panic attack. Right. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure yet how I feel about this. We're going to have to see how it all plays out. Mm hmm. Because I was looking forward to them dealing with PTSD and trauma in a nuanced way. And of course, they just had to come and pull the rug out from under us. Yeah, another theory down the drain. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to need Drano. That drain is getting awfully clogged. (laughs) We could still have that with Yo-Yo. Who knows? We could. We could. So that's why like half of me was a little disappointed. But then half of me was like, oh, this is intriguing. This is They could also do something very interesting with this. Yeah. It's almost like an inhuman power now. But it's heartbreaking, too, because she has nothing of her own. Like, her own self has been completely compromised. She, like, she went, oh, when she said, I'm blank, that just killed me. Yeah, true. I agree. Yeah. She's almost like, she's like a hard drive that's been wiped. No, that would be a wrong analogy. Okay. If you say so. Because hard drive wiped would be no memory. She has some memories. Ah, good point. See, see, this is why you do the tech stuff. (laughs) Even drunk, you know that. Yeah, I'm not a different person when I'm drunk. (laughs) My my hard drive hasn't been wiped. (laughs) Thank God, because we'd be fucked if it was. (laughs) So the other important thing of note here, number one, we find out May's an empath. And number two, several people pointed this out uh, to me on Twitter. And thank you so much because I didn't even realize it. But the fact that May was able to feel Gemma's emotions is definitive proof that Gemma is not an LMD. Yeah. So one question answered. Yes, out of 324. We're getting somewhere. Yay! Where two, right? Like, we didn't know what the deal was with May. Correct. True. So now two questions answered. So we're making progress. Very slowly. Yeah, true. But I do feel that towards the end of the season, hopefully, we might get May's emotions back some way, somehow. Something will happen. We can't leave her like this. Oh my God, I'm hearing nickel back in my head. Don't ever say some way, somehow again. Oh, right. Oh, don't put, I already have John Travolta in my head from this episode. Don't put nickel <laughs> back in there. God. 
<laughs> so back over on the Adventures of Deke, he finds himself a phone booth and calls over to the crazy canoe. And this kills me because he actually wants to talk to Enoch. Yeah, and poor Enoch is so disappointed at this point of time. He just transfers him. Yeah, he's like, I have been burned too many times. Yeah. My heart can't take it. (laughs) But Deke knows what it's like to be isolated and alone. He gets that. So I think that's why he, you know, is able to empathize and wants to reach out to Enoch. Probably. And maybe because Deke at that point of time was not running out of time. He didn't have a mission. The only thing he needed was to get in touch with Zephyr. And because Deke is also still kind of like an excited puppy who gets easily distracted. That's true, yes. He's ba- he's basically my, my 11-month-old uh, husky mix when I give her a toy. <laughs> <laughs> Except he doesn't scratch. So they manage to collect Zeke from the phone booth. And... They don't collect him know, from the phone booth. Well, he gets himself there. Fine. Yeah. So Deke it manages to get like his... sound like one of those alien abduction things. Like, woo. Deke was probed. (laughs) (laughs) So Deke gets himself back to the Zephyr after uh, Enoch puts him through. And, you know, Mac and Coulson are, are struggling with this because they know this has been the crux of the episode here. Do we let Sousa die or not? Because that is exactly what is going to happen this evening. Now, see here, when they decide that they're going to save Sousa, I was pissed on Daisy's behalf. Ah, but here's the thing is that it's not the same because they do it in a way and it seems like they intend to do it in a way that preserves the timeline. Yes, but they're making waves Mac himself says it. Let's make some waves. He does. But Mac also has the authority to do so with Coulson's blessing. Authority, my ass. He screamed at Daisy about trying to make a change when now he himself is doing it. It's a valid point. And I'm surprised that Daisy didn't say anything. Well, she might. Haven't had a whole lot of time to have an argument about it. True. And this got another theory into my head. Oh, boy. Get your (laughs) pens back out. Okay, so at the end of the episode, we see that Yo-Yo is against keeping things as is. Deke has changed his mind. We know Daisy is completely on board with changing history in order to save lives, right? Sousa has come in now into the picture and he is willing to do what it takes in order to get rid of Hydra. That leaves us with Coulson, Mac and Gemma on the other side. So you're thinking this is basically 12 Angry Men, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. edition? No, I'm thinking that there's going to be a mutiny and by the end of the season, Daisy's going to be the director. Hmm... The reason I'm saying that is because I know that Daisy is the director in the comics. Right, but they don't necessarily have to follow that. Agreed. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Although mutiny has such negative connotations, hopefully it won't be that aggressive. Fair enough. Maybe Mac is voted out. He's voted off the island. (laughs) (laughs) You are the weakest link. Goodbye. I was thinking Survivor. Well, yeah, that's getting voted off the island, right? Yeah. Weakest link joke, is a yeah. different thing. I know. Yeah. I'm 85 years old. These are the references I know. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, like we said, they decide to do both. Save Sousa and preserve his death in the timeline. Yeah. Now they're all set to make this happen. But, and this was another great bit of foreshadowing earlier in the episode we saw Max motorcycles. We did? We did. Yes, I noticed that on the second watch. They were there. We saw them as just, just a little clue they're planting. And the payoff comes when Sousa hops on one and takes off from the Zephyr. Yeah, true. He wants to go 
And he told them, he's like, I got to get out of here. My meet's at nine o'clock. And he's like, fuck this. I have to go do my job and deliver this gadget. Yeah. Whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think they did a great job with this whole sequence in kind of keeping us off balance as to what exactly they're doing. Yeah, that that was this whole roller coaster of, oh, no, Susan, yay, Susan, no, no, Susan, yay. Yeah, and I think the plan they came up with was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they did a good job. And LMD Colson is really useful. He is coming in handy for sure. Yeah. He can get shot. He can drown. He can do all sorts of stuff. He's like an a- he's an action figure. Yeah, and he's like a fucking quarterback just pumping into people. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I bet Clark Gregg never thought he was going to co- become Bruce Willis one day. <laughs> At nearly 60. Well, Bruce Willis is doing is still doing stuff like that, so. Well, the difference is one of them is acting. Bruce Willis stopped acting. He's just been cashing paychecks for a while now. <laughs> Clark Gregg's doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he does a wonderful job. So there was another dialogue clue here that, again, I missed on the first watch when Sousa comes around the corner and says, I thought I shook you. And it just didn't process in my mind the first time that that's more old timey kind of dialogue i shook you meaning i got you off my back i lost you and it sh- i should have realized oh he means Colson because they took off oh you Great didn't job. get that no i didn't not oh. at first i was i was just kind of caught up in it you know okay it was they did it the pacing was really good okay all right it was also 4 30 in the morning give me a break <laughs> wait that's on you who the fuck watches TV at 4.30 in the morning? Those of us who are early risers and have four little mouths to feed who have clocks in their bellies. In short, grandmas. Yeah. Yeah, so Colson is the one who ends up in the pool. And I love how Daisy and Gemma like show up as these corridor assistants <laughs> and nobody questions <laughs> the fact that it's two women doing this, let alone a woman with a British accent. Yeah, yeah. That, that she doesn't even try to disguise. <laughs> Yeah, and the guy does seem a bit confused, but he's like, eh, forget it, whatever. And he just lets them do what they're doing. Yeah, because his excuse is, fuck it, it's raining. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, can't really blame him, right? I mean, it's just another murder for him. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Los Angeles in the 50s. It's a lot of murder going around. Yeah. Uh, so, great ending here. Suze is officially joining the team. He is a fucking breath of fresh air. Yeah, he is. I'm really excited to see how he deals with the 70s and God knows where else they go in the 80s and seeing all that new technology. Yeah, and like Colson comes clean with him at the end, tells him everything, and he is fine with it. This is the most adaptable man I've ever seen. <laughs> Which again is rather reminiscent of Steve Rogers. Yeah, true. And just in case that knife in our hearts wasn't twisted deeply enough, when Gemma's fixing Colson's circuits and everything after he, he dries out, he sees in color again as soon as he sees May, coincidentally. That was so beautifully done. She's walking in and everything just gets saturated and we see color again. So wonderfully done. Just keep twisting that knife, writers. Why not? Yeah, and then, boom, that bubble has burst when she says, I don't feel anything off him. Yeah, and the way she, like, just drops his hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was rough. Mm-hmm. And then, final part of this episode, we see that head chronicom again. Or should I say the, the face of the chronicoms? <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there? He's striking a deal with Wilfred Malik, who we will definitely see again now. Yeah. Wonder whether we see the same actor or we see another actor. Yeah. And this this here comes down to the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. So do you think that now that they've gone to the 70s and this head chronicom has been with Malik for so many years already, have things already changed? Excellent question that I had not considered. Hmm. 
All right, so we will meet back up with the team in 1973 next week. You ready to read some tweets? Sure. So we asked all of you on Twitter, what do you think is going to happen in episode four? Let's see if anybody called it right. At Sideshadow909 said, Noir time. Considering the film Out of the Past was about an old acquaintance recognizing someone trying to live a life in hiding, I'm hoping we get a return of Koenig or Enoch or someone recognizing Coulson or someone in the gang for who they actually are and exposing them. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Yeah, we did meet Enoch. So you were right on the money, weren't you? There you go. All right. At underscore Shakur thought we were going to see Grant Ward again. And when I asked in what capacity, they said, as himself, original, not Hive, they'll probably travel back to their own time eventually. This is probably fantasy, and I want it to happen so bad. At Shakur, you are not the only one. I would love to see me some Grant Ward again, preferably once again in his boxer briefs. (laughs) You know, I think there is some merit to this. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Grant Ward again. Yeah, I think they know that the fans would like to see Brett Dalton one more time. Yeah. I think it'll I think it'll happen. Ooh, what if again another theory. Pens. Pens. <laughs> <laughs> what if now that we assume things may have already changed in the 70s and all of that, what if Ward this time is the framework ward, which means he's basically the good guy. But when, though? Because Framework Ward won't be born until the 80s. When they travel to the 90s and the 2000s and all of that. Okay, could be. Like, maybe they come into the time during season one. So Victoria Hand could potentially get to him before John Garrett. Yep. Probably, Could be. Yeah. Could be. And we've got a response from our rather heated debate from the last episode. <clears throat> heated. Uh-huh, you would use that word. You were certainly overheated. <laughs> I don't actually think of that. You're putting ideas into my head. Yep. At username 900,000 says, I get both sides of the Agent Carter discussion. Peggy likely didn't frequent Area 51. She may be their boss due to rank, but it's not like these random staff ever actually interacted with her. As for her... <clears throat> bus size, well, maybe the gods figured it was exaggerated. (laughs) I think we may have found ourselves a mediator. (laughs) For those who aren't familiar with this particular debate, go back and listen to our previous episode for Alien Commies from the Future. Yeah, things get a bit heated. Moist? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we also asked, how do you think uh, Agent Souza is going to cope with his new life? At dot thinging said, he'll be weirded out by some things and then gracefully roll with it. A little like Mac, he won't approve of some of the weirdness, but it won't slow him down any. I think he'd be pretty on board with a lot of stuff. I'm inclined to agree with this because he's got old fashioned sensibilities, but he's also super grounded. Yeah, and he seems to be going pretty well with the flow right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see him getting weirded out. Maybe Deke and Sousa can bond over them being out of time. Yeah, could be. Mm. In regards to the still MIA Fitz, at Patty Manuel says, I'm so excited to see Fitz already. Crossing fingers next episode he's back. Though, perhaps an unpopular opinion, the show has been so damn good, his absence doesn't make the episodes feel lacking. I do miss him. Hopefully next week we see him back. Totally agree. I totally agree that it's not an unpopular opinion. I don't miss him at all. But that's just uh-huh. me. And lastly, we asked everybody, how do you feel about this empath storyline with May? And at Rain Beast says, that moment she couldn't feel anything from Coulson was kind of devastating. Interesting way to go that I hadn't thought of. Can't wait to see what will happen. Neither can we. Yeah, and we certainly didn't get this whole empath thing. I mean, after all the theories that we've seen and come up with. Yeah, we've crashed and burned enough that my ass is red. (laughs) yeah pretty much all right everybody so here's the big question how long or how far do you think daniel souza is going to stick with the team is he going to make it to say i don't know 2012 when somebody showed up as a cop in the avengers (laughs) let us know so let us know and email us at themarvelousmadams at gmail.com 
or let us know on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I am sober Madam Chris. And I am slightly tipsy Madam Amy. Assemble with us next week when we discuss episode five, A Trout in the Milk. And a vodka in the hand for Amy. (laughs) More than just one. Please don't forget to give us a rate and review on iTunes and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. That was more like Tom Hanks jumping on the couch for me. Oh my God. Tom Cruise. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't you ever, (laughs) ever confuse them. Don't you ever put that on Tom Hanks. He is a national fucking treasure. I'm mixing up all the Toms.